Welcome to episode two of the Running Shorts podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Lee. As a reminder, Running Shorts is a running-themed podcast that interviews runners, the community that supports them, race organizers, equipment and apparel manufacturers, and more. We speak with everyone from back-of-the-pack penguins, mid-packers, age group winners, to world-class elites to find out their training secrets, favorite races, and running history. Today, I'm going to give you a little bit of a behind-the-scenes into who I am. I really hope that over time, our relationship, me as the host, and you as the listener, becomes more bi-directional. Today, I'm excited to tell you who I am, and in the future, I hope you tell your story to this audience. So let's get started. I don't come from an athletic background. Neither of my parents were runners or seriously played sports when they were growing up. Stereotypically, and I say that because I'm Asian, my dad enjoys ping pong. But even then, he's not an enthusiast that watches it on TV or plays recreationally. After my family immigrated to the Pacific Northwest when I was four years old, I worked to acclimate myself as much as possible to America. At the time, this meant basketball, as the local Portland Trailblazers made it to the NBA Finals. But as you may have heard in the podcast trailer, my running journey started when I was in the third grade at Lakeshore Elementary School. I still remember our school song. It went like this. On a hill above the lakeshore, there stands a school so fair. To all there is an open door, and you are welcome there. We're called the Lakeshore Seagulls, our colors blue and gray. Our hearts are strong as eagles, our motto is fair play. Ra, ra, ra. Lakeshore gulls are winging to victories far and wide. Heart to heart, we're singing, good friends by our side. To high ideals we're faithful, for will be ever true. So lift our banner higher for dear old gray and blue. Yeah! I mean, wow. If that doesn't indoctrinate you as an eight-year-old, I don't know what will. However, getting back to the point, our school didn't have a nice rubber track or even a cinder track. Instead, the janitor took a riding lawnmower and cut the grass a little bit lower in one section. When he rode the lawnmower, he cut the grass in the shape of an oval. We used that as our track. If you ran on the track when it was freshly cut, you would come home with green-stained shoes. Every year, Lakeshore Elementary held a jogathon fundraiser. I don't even know if these things, like other relics of childhood and adolescence, still exist. Which, if they don't, what a shame. Clearly, it made a mark on me as I still remember it decades later and I'm recounting it to you. The way the jogathon worked was like this. During recess, you ran around the track with a little piece of paper in your hand. After every lap, there was a teacher or administrator standing at the start line with a handheld paper hole puncher. She or he would take your paper and punch one hole in it, signifying that you completed a lap. You could do this for all of recess if you wanted to. Sometimes I'd be a little squirrely and mischievous, and the administrator was a little lazy or mindless. For example, I remember after completing a lap, I would go over to get my hole punch, but instead of handing over the paper, I would keep hold of it in my hand, slightly folded. When the teacher put in the hole punch, it would actually give me two hole punches. What did this do for me, you ask? Well, the Jogathon was a competition and fundraiser to save the whales. I was raising money for my family, family, friends, and neighbors. Sometimes they would just give you $10 and call it a day, but other times they sponsored you on a per lap basis, such as 25 cents per lap. So if I had more hole punches, I technically raised more money that day. In the end, I can't remember how much money I raised or if I quote unquote won the jogathon. 
I apologize for anybody who may have donated too much as a result of my fudging of the numbers, but this was during the time of Free Willy and your money went to a good cause. The whales thank you. After the jogathon ended that year, I remember receiving encouragement from my teachers that I was a pretty good runner or, wow, look at how many laps you ran. Maybe this is what prompted me to try out for the track team. At Lakeshore, the first team sport you could play was track. I don't think it was track and field, just track on that grassy oval. Third graders through fifth graders were allowed to run, but you had to be in at least fourth grade to play basketball. So track was my introduction to a quasi-team sport, running. What I realized very early on is that most kids don't have the drive, determination, and motivation to succeed at track. While the longest race in elementary school was only 400 meters, it sure felt like a long way to run when you have such short and stubby eight-year-old legs. Side note, I went to Disney World as a kid and Disney World as an adult. When I went as an adult, it felt much smaller than before. I attribute most of this to the fact that my legs were longer. Okay, and side note. I gravitated towards the longer distance because that's where I could win. Other kids were more naturally talented, most likely taller, with faster leg turnover and longer strides. They would devour me in the 50 or 100 meter dashes, but if you stretch the race out longer and longer, I started to have a fighting chance and then a winning chance. This led to a second realization. It feels good to win. And the more positive encouragement you receive, the more you want to do those things that led to receiving positive feedback. I later learned in high school that this is called operant conditioning. Regardless, I kept running and running longer. In middle school, I stepped up the distance and ran the 800 meter, two laps around the track, or half a mile. This was the longest race that you could run. And in high school, I was still a long distance runner, focusing on the mile and two mile races on the track and the 5K and cross country, which were the longest races you could compete in. As a high school runner, I was solid but not spectacular. One particular memory that stood out to me was my freshman year. I was dueling with a senior and another freshman for the number seven spot on the cross-country team. As a side note, number seven is kind of an irrelevant position. In cross-country, only the top five places on each team score, and the lowest score wins the meet. So for example, if your team places its runners in the top five spots, they got a perfect score of 15. Places 1 plus 2 plus 3 plus 4 plus 5 add up to 15. It's pretty hard to be valuable as a number 7 runner because if you want to score points for your team, you need to beat both your number 6 runner and your number 5 runner. Usually this means they had a bad day and your team probably lost anyways. The only way the 7 spot on a team can actually be valuable is if you place ahead of the other team's number 5 runner. Okay, Back to the duel with the senior and the other freshman for the number seven position. All year, we had been flipping back and forth between who was number seven on the team. Sometimes I was, sometimes the other guys were. When it came time to decide who was on the team for the state meet, they chose the other freshman, Eric Kramer, which in retrospect was probably fair because he beat me in the last meet, which was the district meet. But I expected to be selected as the alternate, which still would get to travel to the state meet since I beat the senior, Jeff Jigelski. Instead, Jeff was chosen. At the time, I remember being incredibly frustrated and probably throwing a fit. Ever since elementary school, I thought running was a meritocracy. Whoever was fastest run. Whoever was fastest won. However, looking back on it, I realized that giving Jeff, a graduating senior who had never been to state, 
the opportunity for one last hurrah with the team was the right choice. My coaches Mike Arnold and Jason Pyatt knew I'd have another chance, and they were right. Each of the next three years, I ran at the state meet. Eventually, as a senior, I was also the team captain. When I graduated, I had personal records, or PRs, of 2 minutes and 4 seconds in the 800 meter, 4 minutes and 34 seconds in the mile, and 10 minutes and 4 seconds in the 2 mile. My cross-country time is somewhat irrelevant because all of the courses were different lengths and terrain. Okay, we're here at the final stretch of this episode where I talk about running in college. After living in the same house from the time my family moved to the United States until I was 18 years old, I knew I wanted to go somewhere out of Washington State for college. My sister, two years older than me, went to Tufts University in a suburb of Boston. That's where I ended up applying early decision and matriculating as well. I was lightly recruited for Tufts, a Division III school. The program was in somewhat of a transition as the head coach, Connie Putnam, abruptly resigned before the start of my freshman year. Supposedly, he was a great coach, but I never had the chance to experience his methods. But he trained some good runners, including Peter Bromka, who is pretty well known for his insightful and deeply personal writings on running. Unfortunately, with the retirement of Coach Putnam, he brought in a pretty small freshman class as there were only five of us, none of who none of whom was going to be a future All-American. There's something fun about Division Three running. It retains a sense of amateurism. It's kind of equivalent to being in the sub-elite running category as an adult. For those unaware, as an adult, there are basically four categories of runners. Pros, who run professionally, are at the top of the pyramid. Elites, who typically have a day job, are one step below. They may be able to qualify for the Olympic trials, but they'll never make it to the actual Olympics. Then there are sub-elites, who win age group awards and local races. Finally, there's everybody else. The derisive term hobby jogger is sometimes applied. While Division Three was great as a sub-elite, you're still out there with a team, busting your butt in workouts, all in the name of some amorphous goal to get faster or to give anything less than your best is to sacrifice the gift. As a freshman, at the end of the year, I was slated to run at a second seven championship race. Do you remember how I previously said that the top seven is the varsity? Well, in Division Three, there's a second seven, essentially a JV or junior varsity, but they also get a championship race to run. In the weeks leading up to the JV cross-country championship, we were supposed to be on a taper. Now I know what a taper is meant to be, a reduction in mileage and intensity, but not a complete stoppage of running. But at the time, I thought taper meant complete rest, don't exercise at all. When the new coach, Ethan Barron, found out I hadn't been running, he almost pulled me from the race. We had a huge blow-up argument where we yelled at each other, and I shed a couple of tears. In the end, he let me run the race, but our relationship was irreparably damaged. I was never completely bought into him or the team again. I never ran indoor or outdoor track throughout college, and during my senior year, I ran my first marathon in the middle of the cross-country season. That's where I'm going to leave you for this episode. In the next episode, we're going to finish up a little bit on the college years, but talk mostly about post-collegiate running and marathoning. Thank you for sticking around to the finish. Speaking of, if you've enjoyed the show, feel free to subscribe, give a review, and share it on your favorite social media channels. You can find us at the following places. Instagram.com slash running shorts, the website runningshorts.org, and my email, andrew at runningshorts.org. Until next time, enjoy the trial of miles and the miles of trials.